a reunion of sorts this morning. We're going to have a reuniting of five godly mothers uh, that we are introduced to in the Bible. So we're going to reunite with five godly mothers that will help us as we seek to live for our Lord uh, in these times. So let's get started right away here. We get started with Hannah, and she teaches us the power of a praying mother. Hannah, 1 Samuel chapters 1 and 2, teaches us the power of a praying mother. Her prayer, if you look at it in 1 Samuel 1, verses 10 and 11, her prayer is one of pain. Her prayer is one of pain because she's not been able to have uh, children. And uh, her husband, Elkanah, uh, he has another wife named Peninnah, and Peninnah's having children. And on top of that, Peninnah would often, if you look at 1 Samuel 1, verse 6, Peninnah often grievously provoked her rival. She would, she would make life very difficult uh, for Hannah, especially when they would go year by year to shallow to offer their sacrifices to the Lord. And Eli, the priest, was there, especially at that time. She would provoke and torture Hannah. So Hannah prays to the Lord out of a lot of pain. Her prayer also is one that's very personal because her husband doesn't understand. He tries to understand. If you notice his remarks there in 1 Samuel chapter 1, verses 7, 8, and 9, notice that he comes to her and she, she's so grieved, Hannah is, that um, she won't eat and she, she's crying and she's sad. And he says, why are you all these things? I'm... Am I not better than you than, than ten sons? Okay, and so by his saying that, you can tell he doesn't understand her pain. But she prays anyway. Hers is a very personal prayer. Others may not understand her pain, but she's praying to her God. Her prayer, if you look at it in 1 Samuel 1, 10 and 11, is one that is making a promise to God. It's a promising prayer. She's saying... She's saying, Lord, if you'll look down upon your servant and have favor to, to me and grant me a son, then I will give him to you. Give him to you. And of course, this is exactly what every parent should promise to do. This is what every mom ought to promise to do, to bring their children up, as Roger mentioned in his prayer, to bring them up in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord, Ephesians 6 and verse 4. Let's, let's stop right here for just a second. She asked the Lord for something, and then she said, if you will give it to me, I'll give it right back to you. We need to say to God in prayer, Lord, the blessings that you give to me, I will promise you, I promise you to use them for your purposes. I will use them for you. We must say that to God in prayer. We must learn to pledge ourselves to God in prayer and say, Lord, what you give to me will be dedicated to be used in your presence and for your good while I'm alive on this earth. You might recall Luke chapter 5, verses 1 through 3. 
that Peter allowed the Lord to use his boat as a platform to teach multitudes of people. That's the kind of idea we're talking about here. Lord, whatever you bless me with, it will be used as a platform uh, for your goodness, for your teaching, for your glory, for your light. If you keep reading in Luke chapter 5 down to verse 27, you see that Levi did a similar thing. Levi brought his co-workers and friends to his house and brought Jesus there. So he used his influence, he used his house as a platform for the purposes of God. So Jesus could come into his house and be able to teach those who need to see the light of God. We need to do that in every situation, even with our suffering. Even with our suffering, we need to tell God that we will use whatever pain that we are in the midst of, we will use that for His goodness, glory, and for His teaching. Okay. And so we see the power of a praying mother in Hannah. Now, she has another prayer that um, often is overlooked in 1 Samuel 2, verses 1 through 10. And if you get time, please read all of that. But she is praising the Lord all throughout uh, that prayer. She is praising the Lord all throughout those 10 verses of prayer. She refers to, to God as the only God. She refers to, the God, to God as the rock of our salvation. And on and on she praises the Lord. One interesting thing there about that prayer, these prayers in 1 Samuel uh, chapters 1 and 2 of, of Hannah, is that Samuel knew them word for word. Perhaps somewhere along the way, she had written down her prayers and passed them on to her son, uh, Samuel. Perhaps she had said them in the presence of Samuel. And we now have them here so that we can understand her prayer and profit from them uh, now. And so we see here the power of a praying mother. And mothers, there will be painful times. Those are times that you draw closer to God than ever before. Okay. There, will be, there will be times when you'll feel that it's only you trying to do right. Okay. Make prayer personal. Make it personal between you and God. And then by all means, by all means, share your prayers. Let your children hear you pray for them and for big things and and also remember to let your children see that we use everything the Lord brings our way, we use that for His name's honor and glory. And so first of all, we're reunited with Hannah, and she teaches us the power of prayer, power of a mother praying especially. Second is Jochebed. Our second, our second godly mother this morning is Jochebed, the mother of Moses. And she teaches us the power of a protecting mother. She teaches us the power of a protecting mother. Of course, she protected her little boy. Of course, you remember that, that the king of Egypt in those days, Exodus chapters 1 and 2, the king of Egypt, he wanted to destroy all the little boys, all the baby boys of the Hebrews because he was scared 
of the growing number of Hebrews. He was afraid that if a war breaks out, then the Hebrews will take the opposite side and he would be in serious trouble. So his solution is, let's just kill all the baby boys of, of the Hebrews. And that began to happen. They began to toss the baby boys into the Nile River. And then Jochebed and Abinadab, Moses' parents, they hid their little boy for three months. And when they could hide him no longer, they... They got a basket of bulrushes, built a little ark, if you will, and put baby Moses in there, put the baby in there, put him in the Nile, floated him down, and he was discovered by Pharaoh's daughter, and you know the rest of that uh, story. But we see here from Jochebed, we see the power of a protecting mother. Of course, she can protect her little child, and don't you just kind of keep Waiting today in our day, don't you just keep waiting for the uprising, the uprising of all the mama bears protecting their, their baby cubs with all the transgender corruption going on, with all the homosexual corruption going on? Don't you just kind of feel that surely, surely that mommies and daddies will rise up and say, no more, no more, okay? There's going to be no pervert coming into my child's classroom. And if you allow that, then my child's not going to be here. Okay. Where is that uprising? Because God has built us in His image. He has given special instincts to, to mothers especially. And they have that protecting influence upon their children. And you would think that enough is way beyond enough and surely, just like Jochebed, sure, she sees her child and she's going to do all she can to protect her child. And surely, moms and dads today would do the same. We're especially interested in protecting our children spiritually. Let me give you three suggestions how we can protect our children spiritually. Number one, do not follow mainstream thinking. Number one, do not follow mainstream thinking. This is where parents, mommies especially, have gotten in trouble with their kids over the years. And it's obvious that what is being said by the majority is oftentimes so very wrong. Jesus tells us in Matthew 7, 13 and 14, that wide is the gate and broad is the way that leads to destruction. And many there are that enter in on that path. Okay. So if many people are saying it, probably you're going to find the truth in the opposite direction. And that doesn't just happen to mommies and daddies, but throughout the generations, throughout the age groups, that happens a lot. You know, it is a dominant thinking out there that as long as you are sincere and as long as you are happy, then... Uh, you are okay with God. That is a dominant thinking. And mommies who want to fear God and be right with God will resist and not be intimidated by mainstream thinking. Also, a second way to protect our, our children is to be very radical about not exposing them to darkness. We must be very radical about not exposing them 
to darkness. Now, we understand you can't hide your children from everything, but also you don't want to escort them into a variety of sins either. Okay. In fact, Paul says in Ephesians 5, what is it, verses 8 and 9, Ephesians 5, he says, Have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather expose them, expose them, rather uh, reprove them. John 3, uh, verse 19, John 3, verse 19, this is the judgment that has come into the world, that the light has come into the world, and men love darkness rather than the light. Okay. So we must be very radical, very protective about not exposing, not allowing exposure to various works of darkness. And, and a third suggestion is to be just as radical about the friends and the companions that our little ones keep. You know, no, none of us, nobody here, not me especially, none of us are perfect. There, there's no perfect people out here in the world. But there are people out there, obviously, whose, whose words and thoughts and actions and habits lead to that which is destructive and evil, and we have no business keeping their company, especially company with our children. 1 Corinthians 15.33 still says, 1 Corinthians 15.33, it still says evil companionships corrupt good morals. Good morals. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 5 and 6, a little leaven leavens the whole, whole lump. So we must protect our children, be careful. And somebody may say, well, wasn't Jesus a friend of sinners? Yes, he was. But how old was he then? Okay. And at what maturity level was he at then? Okay. We can have a little common sense here. You know, we're not ready for our children to be like Jesus in that regard. Okay. What Jesus would have us to do is to form protections around them so we have the opportunity to teach and ground them and, and have a firm foundation under them on the Word of God. Then when they become adults, they'll be ready to get out here and be friend of sinners and be the influence God would have us to be. There is, Brother Fletcher could speak on this much better, but there is the, the thing called a stress fracture. And if I understand it right, it's, it's a tiny crack that, that comes in a bone. And it comes from uh, just a repetitive force and you know, repetitive pounding uh, from the overuse, sometimes maybe on hands and feet. Okay. Morally speaking... This exposure with friends, this exposure to the media, this exposure in entertainment, okay, this following the mainstream thinking, it, it pounds and it pounds and it pounds and it causes a stress fracture within the faith of our children, the faith of even uh, parents, and that fracture grows. And so it's very important to how protective parents. And Jacobed teaches us the power of a protecting mother. It wasn't easy for Jacobed to do what she did in protecting Moses. It wasn't easy. And it took a lot of courage to do what she did. And it's not easy to protect your children today. Okay. Much easier to say, 
you know, we're going to bed, you watch whatever you want to and go to bed whatever time you want to. Okay. It's much easier to say, you know, we're going out with our friends and, and you be sure if you go out with your friends, you, you be careful and you get home at whatever. Much easier to do that than to form that protective cave uh, over our, our children. So we're reunited with Hannah and Jochebed, and then thirdly, uh, Eunice. On over to Timothy, 2 Timothy chapters 1, 2, and 3. Over to Eunice. Eunice is the mother of, of Timothy, and she teaches us the power of a teaching mother. The power of a teaching mother. There are three things about teaching. Content, method, and example. And you see it all here with Eunice and Timothy. You'll notice 2 Timothy 1 and verse 5, and then you'll notice 2 Timothy 3 and verse 15. Let's first think about content. Content. It's important to teach children academics. It's important for them to especially master the English language and master the idea of logic. Okay. But those are not the most important. The most important. They're not. It's important to teach children manners. Manners. It's very important. They've got to get along in life so you teach them, you know, you do not talk with food in your mouth. Okay. It's important to teach good manners. You be polite. You say, yes, sir, and you say thank you. But those are not most important in the teaching of children. It's important to teach our children some practical wisdom such as the habit of cleaning up after yourself and cleaning, cleaning your room. Okay? And habits concerning finances. No, you don't spend more than you have. And habits concerning the health of your body. Okay? But those are not most important. What mo is most important is found right here in 2 Timothy 3 and verse 15 where it says that Eunice taught Timothy the sacred writings or it may say in your Bible, the Holy Scriptures. Okay, Both of those are very, very uh, important uh, words. Sacred writings, the Holy Scriptures. And keep reading there in 2 Timothy 3.15 because these are the things that makes us wise unto salvation. Okay, English, math, and science, and logic, and good manners, and good practical wisdom are good in their place, but they don't lead us unto salvation. They don't make us wise unto salvation in Christ Jesus. We don't know what Timothy's mother said to Timothy about health or about politeness okay, or about mathematics or about science, but we know one thing she did teach him, and it's mentioned here because it is the most important, and those are the holy scriptures. Okay. So we see the content of uh, her teaching and also the method. 2 Timothy 1 verse 5 says, Paul says that the faith that once dwelt in the grandmother Lois and in the mother Eunice now dwells in Timothy. Okay. The method is life to life. Life to life. Okay. And this is really expanded upon way back in Deuteronomy 6. And I'm going to just read quickly from Deuteronomy 6, familiar to you when 
Moses is giving instruction to parents. But the method here is life to life. In other words, you're living out your life before your child every day. And your child is in your presence as you live out your faith and as you bring the Word of God. Deuteronomy 6 and verse 6, And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart, and you shall teach them diligently to your children, and shall talk of them when you sit in your house. You see, life to life. When you sit in your house, and when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise up, you shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. That's the method that God has, has brought out to us. He has made this known. The teaching of His Word is to be done throughout life, every day, throughout every part of the day. And let me ask this question. How is it that a mom can do this? How is it that parents can do this when their children spend much of their time every day away from them? Away from them. And it's just, it's just interesting. The, whatever we do here at church as far as teaching the Bible will always be limited. It, it will never involve the full method of what God uh, has brought to us to be used because we are not life to life. We're not together. The more we can be together, be better. But we're not like a family. We're not life to life. We're not day to day. We're not hour to hour. God said, but in the family you are. And as you are, then you apply His Word in every situation. So you see the content and you see the method. And on top of the content and method must be the example. We must live out our faith on a daily basis. If mommy is worrying all the time or complaining all the time, that rubs off on the kids, but it teaches them something about God. It teaches them that God is not able to provide our needs. If mommy is constantly showing disrespect to the husband and not happy uh, with the husband, then that rubs off on the children and it also shows a disrespect for the authority of God because God set it up this way. You know, Ephesians 5, uh, 23, husbands, uh, is, they are the head of the wives even as Christ is head of the church. Okay. If, if mommy is speaking ugly to the children, uh, this, has, uh, this has so many uh, bad ramifications. This is, this is bad all over. Okay. What do you mean ugly? Let me give you an example. Uh, two moms were, were talking and their kids were, were right there at their feet. They're talking about upcoming vacations. And one mommy just spurted out and said right there in front of her kids, in front of God and everybody, she said a real vacation would be a vacation away from these kids. And when she said that, the room went totally silent because nobody could believe she would say that. Now, this is not discounting the fact that moms, moms and dads need to have some date nights and they need some breaks from their regular routine. But mommies must remember that what you have committed to is unconditional love uh, toward your children that comes from 
the unconditional love from the Heavenly Father. If they hear you speak ugly to them, then the idea of, an un, of, a, of a Father in heaven, a God in heaven who loves them, is going to fall on deaf ears. If mommies and daddies let sin just slide and wrongdoing just slide, then the idea of God being holy and just and a judge of all the earth uh, doesn't make sense to them either. And so we see here in Eunice, we see the power of a teaching mother. And then our fourth lady is Mary, the mother of Jesus. And she teaches us the power of a committed mother. There she is. Mary, the mother of Jesus. There she is. John 19, verses 25, 26, 27. There she is at the cross. What's she doing at the cross? What is she doing at the cross? Well, first she's there because she's honoring God. She has been collecting all these happenings and the scriptures together, and she is convinced that her son Jesus has to die for the sins of the world. First and foremost, she's there to honor God, but she's also there to support her son. Support her son. She's committed to her children. She's committed to her son. We learn from Mary that once you are a parent, you're always a parent. You never stop being a parent. Jesus now in his 30s, and she's still a mom to him. And he's still a mom to her. It never stops. Whether you're 40, 45, whether you're age 50, 55, 60, 70, 80, you never stop being mom. It just comes to the question of what you're going to be responsible or irresponsible in the role that God has given you. And then Mary understands, we learn from her, that we're not raising kids, we're raising adults. And she's concerned for her adult child. We must bear that in mind that we're raising these kids not to be kids. And that's the trouble with much of our world today. Parents raise kids to keep being kids. In fact, a lot of parents are still kids and they're having kids. We raise them to be adults, to stand on their own two feet, to stand on their own faith. Mary understands that you never quit, even when things look dark. It couldn't look much darker than that day that Jesus died on the cross for our sins. In fact, it turned dark. She's still there. She's still there. We learn from Mary the power of a committed mother. And then our fifth lady today is, is an interesting lady. Let me ask you this. Do you remember Boaz from the book of Ruth? And what a gentleman he was. And how respectful he was to both Naomi and Ruth. And how he inquired about what Ruth had done and how she was helping her, her, her mother-in-law. And whereas he had many opportunities to sin and to, to mistreat people, he, he was a man of, of godly character. Who was his mother? 
Who was the mother of Boaz? Well, she's in the lineage of Jesus. Matthew 1, verse 5. And that mother is none other than Rahab the harlot. Rahab the harlot that we meet way back in the book of Joshua. She turned her life around or allowed God to turn her life around. And look at the son that she had. And look at the outcome. The beautiful outcome of the union of Boaz and Ruth. Great-grandparents of David and in the lineage of Jesus, we learn from Rahab the power of a transforming mother. The power of a mother has been transformed by God. The, the most powerful thing a mom can do for her child is to grow and keep growing in Christ and let that transformation continue. And children will pick, them up, pick up on that very fast. This is, not just, this is not just a Sunday thing for my mom. This is not just taught for my mom. This is real for her. And this is something I need to deeply look into myself. So we're reunited this morning with five godly ladies. And there are... There are others, but think about Hannah. Think about her prayer. Think about Jochebed and her protective nature. Think about Eunice and her teaching. Think about Mary and her commitment. Think about Rahab and how she allowed the Lord to transform herself in from something very ugly to something ultimately heavenly and beautiful. If you're subject to the Lord's invitation this very morning, will you please come right now as we stand together?